All right. This is episode 100, episode cake of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. Once upon a time, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it was the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Today, that is mostly still true. Still two idiots, still topics, but not always sports, sometimes sports. Maybe I make fun of Mike Trout, maybe I make fun of Tom Brady. It's something else. We'll figure it out. We'll workshop it. 100 episodes in, we'll figure it out. We're, we're still warming up. I will introduce ourselves, and we'll talk a little bit about where, before we go to the future, we must acknowledge where we've been. But before that, gratuitous cartoon image of our face. The egos must be appeased. I am Carlos. That's Dave. The appeasing of the egos is the key point, Carlos. Well, this is literally what I live my life by, Dave. You, you know this by this point. Basically, if I was going to encapsulate my, my, my approach to life, and if I was to help you all in exactly what you need to do, this is simple. I don't actually need it, but nonetheless, I still want you to do it. And if I was going to encapsulate a nice, simple, short phrase, it's simply this. Praise me! And then That's as fair. Long, That's as fair, long, man. As long as you do that, then we're probably good. So anyway, yeah. we're, so anyway, we're celebrating our 100th episode, a couple of different, so number one, great milestone. It's 99 and a half more episodes than I thought. So that's already a step in the right direction. But in addition, we, we met our goal. You know, the cake is not a lie. It is in fact episode cake. So respect to that and uh, kudos to the parental units on grabbing this little board. I will not I like be updating. It. I will not be updating this every episode because that takes too much hashtag effort. But nonetheless, I do appreciate it for a special episode. And uh, while we chat about it, we, the cake is not a lie. I do have my piece of cake. Dave has uh, had his ice cream cake as and well. Yes, I decided to go with ice cream cake because why have only one kind of cake when you can have multiple kinds of cake, Carlos? With That's episode right. cake, you deserve more than one kind of cake. Yes, and out of respect for episode cake, I have an image of the cake that this is a piece of with the 100 candles, which again, uh, graciously offered by the family who will in payment eat the rest of the cake. Nice. Now, it, question though, did hmm. you light the candles at any point? No, the episode, the, like really, this was just for the photo op. This is just for the okay. shameless photo op because right. I said like realistically, my mom asked, she was like, well, do you want me to light? I was like, do you really want to light these candles? She goes, well, I can use them for later because you think you got a one and you got a zero, so you can use it for a, for at least a couple of different birthday variations. It's true. So you got some options there, and she can just hang on to it for later. But the cake is uh, that is a um, tuxedo cake. There, it's actually quite good. Uh, I've had uh, I've, we've had that one before. The last couple of birthdays have been that kind of tuxedo cake. Nice. So we did use a a a Alcazar family friendly cake for episode one hundred because I assure you the rest of the family. By the time I get back and look at it again, that cake may no longer be there. That may be the last time you see it intact. Probably. Not allegedly. No, knowing, knowing your dad and his love of cake, it's probably already half gone. Well, you should have seen the joy on his face when, as commissioner of Cake Day, I gave him a very simple task. I go, you must procure a cake and bring it to me. Was and that one go, of those? And he was like, and you're like, here you go. And you're like, but you didn't even leave. He was like, I've been waiting for this moment all of my life. That's very true. Well, like I said, as we established already in previous episodes, I am the OG Carlos. And as future Carlos in training, Carlos Sr., you know, as a secondary level Carlos, he's still working on it. He's, we're workshopping it. Eventually, as an apprentice, someday he will elevate to proper Carlos status. This is fair. But the cake was a necessity pre prerequisite in order to make this work. Anyway, so let's, uh, we'll get to our general ADC momentarily. But before we do... Let us quickly, 100 episodes. For anybody who hasn't seen an episode before, either on YouTube or on Spotify, Instagram, haven't heard it or seen it on YouTube or whatever the case is, how do these two morons get to 100 episodes? Well, we cheated and we actually <laughs> skipped the episode 100. No, no, we didn't do that. 
But um, actually, I think we've done. Haven't we done more than 100 episodes? But some of them just never made it to air. Well, there were a couple of those, but the, really the the extras came from the actual podcast extras. They were actually called. They were ones that sometimes I was recording when something happened live, and then a reaction video. But I never counted those as episodes proper. They were always their own unnecessary nonsense podcast extras. Back in the days of the AAF, when you you know did weekly updates on the now defunct football league. Listen, single tier. I will always miss the F. Dead before it's time. Dead <laughs> before F. it's time. The good old F. Listen, it's okay, I, though. Soon you can mourn the XFL again. The, the and third probably, time? And, yeah, exactly. And probably the USSF, USFL as well. And who knows, maybe the CFL. But if they well, would just go with our Sarah McLaughlin telethon idea, they'd be fine. Well, in fairness, the CFL was never a thing. But the important thing is that um, the, the XFL, yes, that's probably true. I did, I did look into it a little bit more, and then I want to get into the backstory of the podcast a little bit momentarily. But the thing is, I did look into it more, and apparently the guy who's in charge of it is the guy who does the Spring League, which has been running for a couple of years doing its own kind of thing. So maybe, maybe, I'm not going to assume yet, but if they make it an actual feeder system thing, like a developmental league that the NFL actually sort of endorses, then they might have a shot at sticking it out. The TV thing is helpful. So, like, having FS1 as a partner is, like, a big thing. And if the NFL actually helps them in some way, I could see it maybe working a little bit, possibly. So I'm not going to throw it out completely, but um, I need to see more. So since last episode, I did find out that, and I was like, okay, that's – at least I know the Spring League. I haven't watched any of it, but at least I've heard of it. I know what that is, and that helps. And So that maybe makes sense why they were able to get FS1 as a partner. So that kind of makes sense. And the other thing that kind of makes sense is I wonder if they actually um, – I wonder if they would actually go in and uh, turn them into an officially sanctioned feeder league because immediately that gives you credibility. If you do that and make that a real thing, suddenly there's a landing spot for college football players who may be out of eligibility or college football players who want to go pro early and maybe need the money. Like, you Or could maybe su- they suffered an injury – like think about somebody like Dwayne Johnson, right? The Rock, where he basically in, he won the championship with the University of Miami in his first year, but he got in, he also got injured that year, so he didn't actually play in the championship game. But that injury sort of derailed his ascent, if mm-hmm. you will, where he ended up going to the CFL, and then obviously his, that didn't work out, and obviously he became his life worked out pretty well from not being a football player. Never, but never some, heard, of, never heard of the guy. Uh, <laughs> has he done anything? Yeah, but somebody like that who you know, maybe was, was a rising star, then it didn't quite work out for whatever reason, now has another opportunity sanctioned to say, you know, hey, let's do it. Now, the question is, is it going to work as a sort of like a triple A? Right? That, but that's basically, but that's basically that what idea? I'm thinking. That's what yeah. I'm thinking would make the most. If you want to live and you want to sustain, you're not going to compete with the NFL on even footing. At this stage of the game, it's a dumb idea. Yeah, but as a feeder system that is like a triple A, that is professional, you pay the guys, I could see that being viable. Unless the only way you could think it would work is you're like, I want to compete with them, is if you had somebody like Jeff Bezos take it over or Elon Musk. And it's like, here is all the money I have. Go do your thing. I will pay you whatever you want. Sure, but is that even worth it when NFL stadiums cost billions of dollars to build? No. Like the, the startup costs are so huge. That's why? true too, yeah. Like why? Oh, no, fair if, enough. I don't I don't think it's actually going to happen. No, but I'm saying like if the NFL though co-signs as a developmental league directly feeding to the NFL, they're like, okay, well, you've got the – now they, they might even lend you the, the stadiums 
at that point, they're working with you because if you're working cooperatively, well, now you have venues. Now and you have you access have, to And facilities. you have a reason to exist and Correct. continue to exist. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, the rest of the pieces fall into place immediately. That, that's what really happened with the AF. Tom Dundon ran out of patience. He wanted to be a developmental league now. And they were like, build it up. Build the business model. Let's prove proof of concept. We need to finish the season. Let's get to the end here. And he was like, no, too late. I'm, I, I don't like it anymore. Pull the plug. Which is too bad because the football was actually pretty decent. That, but that's the thing is that you need – the owner has to be patient if the possibility is actually there. Again, they got FS1 to sign up on this. They have equity stake in that league. So so they must think something of it. Like out of nowhere, USFL, after 30 years, you suddenly show up. Why? I don't know. So you get Doug Flutie doing because, some promos for you. Because reasons, Carlos. Exactly. So let me quickly uh, – and we'll come back to some of this stuff. We'll, we'll talk more about it as we learn more and as, as we get a little further along on that. But uh, quickly, I did want to touch on a little bit of the past. So the first episode was back in the heady days of January 2019 when Dave's garbage football team uh, lost the <sighs> NFC Championship. And I posited that Tom Brady's Kylo Ren, an opinion which hasn't changed really. That was that was probably the hottest take this podcast has ever had, and the most correct. Like two years on, I stand by it. God damn it, I stand by it so hard. I and, so and if you don't know who Kylo Ren is, learn, and then you will understand that Tom Brady is the Kylo Ren of the NFL football. Yep, and then just nod in agreement with Carlos. That's that's really all you got to do. It's perfect. It's wonderful. But uh, yep, so over two years to get to these 100 episodes, and here we are. Now, uh, originally it was, per the spiel, that shall never be uttered again, except in syndication. You can go watch our archive of episodes. There are 99 more of them. Uh, and you can expect the high, type of high-quality content that you have you have heard in the last several minutes. But um, the thing is, honestly, it gets better, I promise. <laughs> it really does get better. It's really shit at the beginning. It gets better eventually. Um, but the thing is, um, but the takes do get hotter. Um, and the Tom Brady slander is real. But the the thing is that originally it was supposed to be like a sports podcast thing, but let's be, let's be realistic. The big development on it is that as time went on, it's like, I like the concept. But uh, the reality was, it's like, no, I just like sitting here and having some fun going through some different topics. And eventually it was like, look, let me just put in this topic. Let me put in this topic. And there is lots of room. It's not like there aren't sports podcasts out there. I still like True. talking about sports at different times, but it's one of those things. You got to go one of two ways. You got to go super niche. You can't go all over the map and do every sport. Nobody really does a good job doing that, including us. We really didn't. But if you're going to even try, then you have to be, you have to go to a level of depth. It can't just be like, yeah, I watched the games and I saw a couple of things. Like, no, you got to do some digging. Uh, you know, advanced sabermetrics. Do something to go a level below what the average fan can see in a game. You can still mm -hmm. do that if you want to, but it's like, no, you got to, you got to go a level deeper, or focus in on something very specific one league uh one team and then really go deep on that that's usually what happens with a lot of the sports podcasts is that you go either super niche or if you're going to do broad you know bring in oh here's an expert on this team or here's an expert on the salary cap or this that and the other thing you can do that honestly i just like talking about random shit and making fun of tom brady and uh, mike trout and whoever else annoys me at that time or uh randomly explain wrestling things that will be inexplicable like we will do later on this is true. But does this mean, Carlos, based on your explanation you just gave there, will there eventually be a Carlos-led Aussie Rules football podcast? Dave, I have dreams. And amongst those dreams, well, there's really a lot of them, but um, an Aussie Rules football podcast that I lead, all I have to do is find the right Australian co-host that really likes weird time zones. And I got this. It's true. 
I feel you would do a very good job of that with your Australian co-host, of course. No, I, I need an Australian co-host. I need someone who can actually watch these games at the proper time time zone. <laughs> it's like a necessity. I love it. I enjoy it for what it is, but I need someone who can watch it at the time the thing actually happened. That's super important to this city. I was like, I, I, I am sleep deprived, but I do not in fact live in all time zones, contrary to popular rumor. Contrary That's to popular unfortunate. Rumor. It is. But anyway, so I thought I would go, so two over two years, 100 episodes plus the extras, plus a bunch of other random things, many, many references, a lot of slander, and here we are in episode 100 where we in fact produced cake, showed you cake, referenced cake, and I am eating cake. Yes. And I already ate my cake. Well, ice, ice cream cake doesn't last as long. Yeah, so exactly. Ice cream cake melts. It was DQ ice cream cake, and I love it, and it was fantastic. Beautiful. So normally what we'll do is we'll have a little, have a little chat at the beginning about what we've done this past week, but I think um, I think we're going to have a lot, fair number of little things to talk about, and we're going to have some fun with it. So do you mind if I uh, introduce a random topic to start off? Please. Please. So, in the spirit, I do like paying attention to various uh, types of you know investments and markets. Usually I'll talk about the sports cards, and I will do a little bit of that, but... Today, I need, sometimes I like to show Dave an article or a, a headline or something, and then we talk about it for a little bit, but he doesn't know what I'm going to show him. And that's what we're going to do. This is true. That's what we're going to do here. So allow me to share uh, my screen here for a moment. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show it to you, and I need you, Dave, to read the headline, and then we'll mm -hmm. proceed from there. All right. All right. So the headline here says, CryptoPunk NFT sells for $11.8 at Sotheby's. <sighs> Can I just facepalm now? Look at it, Dave. Is it not magnificent? He's got a brown hat. He's got a single pixel for an earring. He's wearing a COVID mask. This is almost $12 million. It also it also looks like it's less than 8-bit. Well, right? the problem... The it, problem looks like, it looks like that's not good enough to make original Nintendo, Carlos. But, but, the th but in fairness, this it probably is 8-bit, but you're blowing it up. <laughs> You're, you're actually seeing the pixels. Like Mario would look like this if we zoomed in on him enough. All right, fair enough. Uh, this is another example of ridiculousness. Do you need to explain to the people again what a non-fungible token is, Carlos? An I'm NFT? Not gonna, I'm not going to do the full explanation, but the important thing that you need to remember is that it's not a tangible thing. And um, really, it relies upon the technology of blockchain, which again, we can go into on a later show. We'll focus in on that if we want to. But the point is, this is basically, in effect, what we're talking about here is $12 million or 11.8 for effectively a piece of digital art. Now, in principle, incredibly ridiculous. For me, as a person who likes to troll life, I enjoy this thoroughly. And anyone I can show this to that has a look of abject horror, that is what I live for. That is the fuel that powers me forward. But it's one of those things, $11.8 million. So that's why I'm trying to say... As we progress forward, I hope by episode 200, we can have our Necessary Nonsense podcast, NFT, which will probably be our logo. And I'm thinking five or six million. I'd take that. I, I think that's the fairest thing. I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, we have much higher resolution imagery. So, like, honestly, I in reality, I could probably argue our, our logo is worth at least double. That's fair. I, th I think, you know, 25. Let's go just 20, even number. 25 million, please. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the dream can live on. And at that point, then, I can move to my palatial estate and begin my wonderful Aussie Rules Football podcast as I build my empire. I see this nothing fair, that could man. possibly go wrong. This is fair. But there you go, $11.8 million. And it was sold at Sotheby's as well. It was sold at Sotheby's. I know, it's legit. It's, it, you know, it's not, it's not that as if this is not a legit thing. It's very legit. 
I still think it's stupid that anyone paid even close to that much. But are you at least properly horrified? It did at least get some uh, some any, level of any, personally. Personally, I think, in my opinion, anybody who pays any kind of money for an NFT rightfully horrifies me. In my opinion. Wow, that we're, we're, we've got eleven point eight million reasons why this works. Exactly. Love it. Beautiful. So I thought I would start with a little random uh, article to get us underway. It was a beautiful thing. I saw it the other day and I just started cackling. It was wonderful. I do enjoy my cryptocurrency. I don't have any problem with Bitcoin and Litecoin and various other ones. I would never recommend it to anybody. I won't give hashtag investment advice on that. But when I saw that, I was like, no, I must share it with people. The people must know. It's true. They, they do need to know. It's important. And be rightfully horrified. I hope so. I hope anyone who's listening to this or watching this right now, since we are live, is thinking, dude, what the fuck? No, they're thinking I would have paid at least 12. That's what they're thinking, Dave. Sure. Sure they are. I, I, I pretty much guarantee Honestly, it. but here's the thing. If you have $11.8 million, you can just drop on something. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things. Carlos, how many Rolexes could you get for that, man? There are so many better things in life that you could spend your money on. Or you could buy or a CryptoPunk. Yeah, or you could you know, take half of it and donate it to charity and still have a lot of money. But starving children don't give me CryptoPunks, Dave. This is true. This is true. They don't give anyone CryptoPunk. You, you can quote me on that. Starving children in third world do not give me CryptoPunks, Dave. They do not. Nope. Nope. What are you going to do? Anyway, so uh, on that note, let us proceed. What, what, what would you like to – where would you like to begin? You actually have a couple of things there. So why don't we talk about – why don't we talk about the Super League, Carlos? Because I know how much you love the Super League, I do and I want to tell you the latest phase of the ridiculousness that is the Super League. I love it. A little bit of Super League salt is always welcome in my book. So for that, we will give Rolling Neymar a chance to come back on the podcast. And then after we discuss Super League, as I, Lord Salt, as I will be remonikered shortly, rejoin the podcast, then... I'll bring in a little bit of a shameless sports cards into it because, you know, we're going to go back and forth. We're going to have a little fun with it. So here we go. Are you ready for rolling, Neymar? Let's do it. For anyone doing it live, you get the OG music. For those of you on YouTube, you don't. All right. So here I go, Carlos. So as as people hopefully will know, hashtag save the Super League, first of all. Mm-hmm. Second of all, this was originally a 12-team league that is now defunct, except for the three holdout clubs, which are Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus. Here's the best part about this, all right? So first of all, basically every club that was supposed to be part of this has agreed to pay some kind of fine or have some kind of punishment. There was threats of you know docking them points, so they may start the season with minus points in the league and then have to kind of catch up. Nobody wanted that. None of the teams wanted that, so they said, okay, we'll pay the money. So, for example, the six English Premier League clubs, so Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and some other team that I can no longer remember off the top of my head right now, Chelsea. Uh, were fined a combined 22 million pounds and they had to pay that to the league. And the God league damn it, had, that's like two crypto punks. That's <laughs> trash, Dave. Trash. <laughs> the league has said this money will go 
to the good of the game as an investment in fans and the grassroots, et cetera. Meaning they're probably just going to pocket the money and be like, yes, we did some great work with this. See, there's a sign over there that says we did that. And and sorry, who's uh, who's levying the fines? It's um, it's the it's the Premier League. So it's Premier the, League, okay, English Premier League. Now, the next part, or it might be the FA, the Football Association, which is in charge of of soccer in in Britain. One of the two. I don't know, or there could be one in the same. I don't know. Now, mm-hmm. the next part about this is the other holdouts in UEFA. All right. Please so continue. so that would be was it the uh, Inner Inner Milan. AC Milan, uh, and whoever else doesn't matter. I, I do. I do. Guys, this is important. Remember, this is the this is the football guy on the on the show. Uh, who was like, yeah, another team somewhere doesn't matter. I think he won the Great Cup once or something. I don't remember. It Whatever. doesn't matter because because the the the, the uh, punchline is the best part here. I thought the punchline was the headline. This is no, what I got yeah, out of everything you said. It so gets far. better. It gets better, Carlos. And then buy two crypto punks. So. <laughs> They they have been fined five uh, percent of their revenue for the next year, like their UEFA revenue, as well as a fifteen million dollar fine or fifteen million euro fine. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you have every team that's been involved in this so far of the teams that have said we're sorry, we're out, this was a bad idea, our fans didn't like it, yada yada yada. Okay, they have been fined, they have been punished in some way, they have come to an agreement with either UEFA or their home league. All right, mm-hmm. however. The three teams that are still like, we're doing this, although I don't know how, but they still haven't said they're not. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus. UEFA has suspended legal action against them. Because remember, they're like, oh, you violated the UEFA charter, yada, 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 court of justice, blah, blah, blah. Okay? I'm a big fan of the court of justice issue. So nine of the 12 teams have said, okay, fine, you know, we'll eat our humble pie. Here's some money. The teams, yet the teams that have remained defiant and said, screw you. Currently have no consequences. Well, yeah. They, here's the thing, Dave. They have not acknowledged. They have not acknowledged wrongdoing. So, like, how can you punish us if we don't even acknowledge we did anything wrong? I advocate for the strategy. And it's They're like, look, and it's, we know and it's hilarious. We know what y'all are doing. We know you're just trying to leverage for buying two crypto punks. Don't lie to me. This is not about Maybe. the game. This Maybe. is not about the game. That is a lie. The cake is true. This is a lie. The good of the game. Trash. There you go, Carlos. And that, my friend, is the Britannia's Cross Country Running Report with Dave Turnbull. Well, as Lord Salt, I, I have uh, I have uh, acquiesced to this uh, to this segment. Uh, well, well done by you. Uh, we we can we can now proceed with the rest of our day, and we got a little bit of Super League salt. But I stand by what I said earlier. The cake is now true, at least for this show. The cake is true. This good of the game. This is what's really happening. Do not fall for their lies, people. Do not be sheeple. Understand the truth. This is what they're doing. It's all about it's all about the attempt to buy CryptoPunks, Carlos. That's what it's all about. This offends me at such a level I will remain Lord Salt for the remainder of this podcast, even while I'm eating this cake. That's fair. All right, Carlos. Now for our CanCon. Let's talk about the NHL playoffs. May as well. So we've got we're down to the semifinals. And on one side, we have the New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, which happened last year, I believe, in the playoffs as well. Because, yes, yeah, three, think, of the think... four, three of the four semifinals from last year. Oh, come on. Right. 
<laughs> so, so you had your, you have your. <laughs> Trash. The actually meant as a dig towards you, but it but like worked. mathematically, we we ran into it. It's like it's like you're finally learning, even not even unintentionally. It's, oh, come on, brutal. <laughs> right. Uh, so they and it's interesting. Now, granted, they have a little bit more familiarity because they played each other recently. Uh, but they did not play each other this year. That's the one thing that makes these playoffs interesting. And then on the other side of the bracket, you have Les Canadiens, the champions of the North Division, or Kings of the North, as they should be referred to for all time now. Great Cup champions, yes. Mm-hmm. Versus the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which really should still be called the Black Knights. Well, they should have been because called the Black Knights Because they missed a great place. marking opportunity there. I already stated this. I am on the record as stating if they had been the Black Knights, they would be on like their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup. They would be a dynasty to end and all And they dynasties. could be because they've been a great team since they went to Vegas. That's what I mean. It could it could have ha- the dream could have been lived. We could have had Tis but a flesh wound as a thing that fans chant. Like guys, this sells itself. It sells itself. Yeah. And they have not Montreal and Vegas did not play this year. They did not play last year. So it it's been a while since those two teams have played each other. However, uh, I think the 2019-2020 season was the last time, maybe, or 20-whatever. I don't think they've played each other since 2019. But the point is, is that it'll be interesting because you have a vastly, a vast underdog, let's say, in Montreal playing the Golden Knights. and But we don't know how they really match up because they haven't played each other in a while. We know what their stats are. But we don't know what it's going to look like. Obviously, Montreal has beat a team that was far better than it on paper in Toronto, and they beat Winnipeg fairly easily. Yeah, uh, Winnipeg. After, win, win, after considering Winnipeg the series beat, Winnipeg beat had, the, considering the series that Winnipeg had against Edmonton, the theory was that it would have been more of a competitive matchup. But Winnipeg would have put up a fight, but then Montreal swept them. Yeah. So, which was a bit of a surprising outcome. All of a sudden, Montreal world beaters, and suddenly they can't be beat. Yeah, and and uh, don't you know? Don't give me this. Well, it's because Mark Schiefele, you know, the league took him out. Man, he took himself out with that hit. All right, but the other thing is, is that but I was I watched all the games of the series. I didn't watch every second of every game, but I watched the majority of it. And in game three, Winnipeg looked beat in game three. Right. Uh, even though they actually scored two goals and and it went to overtime, but game four, you know, they came out and it looked good in the beginning a little bit and then pff, done, and and really it was it was disappointing. And as a Habs fan, it was great to watch see them win and and you know that part was fantastic, but it would have been nice to see a little bit more of a fight. Uh, but we'll see what happens with this series. I have no, I mean, I expect Vegas to win. But then again, we all expected Vegas to beat the Dallas Stars last year, and Dallas beat them four one. Right, four games to one. Yeah, basically. So, I I would love to see a repeat of that. Only this time they go on that you know the team that beats Vegas goes on to win the Stanley Cup. But it, we'll see. See, I like to think uh, you know in the in the spirit of simulating analysis, and this is how I I interpreted what uh, how we got here. I think what happened was that when Winnipeg was facing against Montreal, they realized something, and it, and it's a very logical thing that they thought, and I I could totally understand it. In retrospect, it makes perfect sense. They thought to themselves, wait a minute. We won the last Grey Cup. We don't need another one. So, like, we're done. Oh, my goodness. We, we don't need this. Like, we already did this, man. 2019. We did this shit. We're good. Whatever. You and the freaking Grey Cup. I listen. They got to use it for something. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, that's true, because who knows whether they're actually going to play CFL football. That's what I mean. From now on, the best Canadian team gets the Grey Cup. We're done. Oh. And then you have two. Whoever maybe, buys the most expensive the crypto Cup, Cup 
yeah, whoever buys the most expensive crypto punk gets a great cup. Like, we'll just come up with reasons to hand it out. We'll be like, here you go. Why not? It's like, what happened? It's like, ah, listen, uh, we weren't able to get, uh, we're having a little bit of a shipping delay. Here's the great cup. <laughs> or just say, you know, a lot of these places, uh, and, and Manitoba, I think, is one of them, that are offering some sort of incentive to get vaccinated against COVID. You get the great cup? What, you, you get a shot, once get you the get cup? your second shot, here's the great cup. I think that's a very excellent use of it. I, 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 you know what? I mean, I'm going to get them anyway, but that would be something I would be like, yeah, I'd be down for that. And then you too can be a great cup. It'll be like Oprah. You're a great cup champion. You're a great cup champion. You're a great cup champion. Why not? So, did you just point to all of Canada? You're a great cup champion. So do you do you see any other kind of outcome other than Vegas winning? I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of hard to tell, and Montreal is playing really well, although they've now had a little bit of a longer layoff, so we'll see if there's any rust comes out of that. But so from, Vegas so from is, a seems from, to be the better team. From a talent standpoint, it should be Vegas. The other thing is that I can just, I can assure you that at the very least, Montreal, goaltending is usually the differentiating factor, most more often than not mm-hmm. in the hockey playoffs. And... Um, Marc-Andre Fleury still has something to prove because we are he is a multi-time Stanley Cup champion. That's not the that's not a dispute. But since he's gotten to Vegas, he has made he has been part of making that team relevant immediately. But then you're looking at him as like he's got to be thinking, you know what? If I can get one more, just one more outside of Pittsburgh, just one more. It's that it's that little extra. It's basically the Mark Messier after Wayne Gretzky left. Like, can you can you guys get the job done? Can you figure out a way to do this? Because Crosby and the Penguins, you know, they're in they're in the decline as a, as a franchise. They're not, they're there, and the players are still really good. But Malkin may or may not be back. Like, there's a lot of mitigating factors. Crosby was Sid the kid, but now he's he's a grown adult. Like, he's not a kid anymore. Um, so, as time goes on, you know, wear and tear, injuries, all this plays into it. He's still a very good player, but he's not the player he once was. But still a very good player, and still a difference maker on a team that is composed well. The Pittsburgh Penguins are not built to do that anymore, but they've got three Stanley Cups out of the deal. So it's not like, oh, you know, they've got, they've got something to show for that era. So they've done well. But then Marc-Andre Fleury could put himself into another echelon all time because he wins. Goaltender wins. He's right up there now. He does have three Stanley Cup rings. So that's good. That, that puts him right up there. And then, but a fourth, a fourth puts him into an extra echelon. It puts him into another category entirely. Because it's hard to get into that category. Not a ton of goaltenders have that many cups. At least not in a modern era, especially. Because I think Berger has three, so I think he's tied with that. So that would put him ahead of Berger. I think Wah has four. Because I think two with Montreal and two with Colorado. I think that's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so because uh, so that would, think of that. That would be pretty elite company. That would yeah. put you right up there. The only guys that would get ahead of you would be somebody like a Grand Fuhrer. But that was the 80s Oilers. So like, I'm not treating that exactly the same. And then Billy Smith had the four in a row with the Islanders, stuff like that. Like, that stuff happens. But with Fleury, it would be with two different franchises, like like Wah, but in very different periods of his career. And Marc-Andre Fleury was never seen as a guy like Patrick Wah, but all of a sudden he would get into that conversation. It would, yep. it, would, it would thrust him up another level is what I'm trying to get at. For sure. So I'm just saying that as motivation, that sounds pretty good. It feels like that would be like a huge motivator for him to be like, if I could steal a couple of games, if I can get us back there, one more crack at this thing maybe. Because there's no guarantees you get another crack at this next year. There's a lot of circumstances that have gone a certain way the last couple of years, obviously with COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. You never know. Like everything, like I said, Dallas, Dallas's run last year was a complete accident. It was a fluke. But they had an opportunity. And Tampa's back there. So that's very interesting on that side of the bracket. That's very interesting that Tampa's back there again. 
good on them for team building to be able to restructure the team, reload, rebuild. The Islanders, after you being punching bags for years, are relevant. They're they're in position A. They've got a shot. They only got to get ahead one more team, and they're back in the final. Yep. For the first time since the '80s, the last time they were in the final, they they faced the Edmonton Oilers, and Wayne Gretzky was in his twenties. It's been a long yeah, time. It's been a while. I, yeah. You know what I mean? I wouldn't mind seeing them do it. If it's if it's not going to be Montreal, I would hope that it would be the Islanders. Yeah, but... there's, there's, there, I think somebody did a listing where they showed a bunch of the different matchup possibilities, and there are some interesting ones. There's some kind of like Tampa Bay and um, Vegas would be kind of boring. I wouldn't be that interested in it. But almost every other combination is interesting. It's compelling. Which is, unfor- which is unfortunate because that's the most likely matchup you're going to get. Probably, yeah. But, Probably, yeah. You know, we'll see, right? It it'll be interesting to see if, you know, how good some of these divisions actually have been or not, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of talk as sort of the the North Division is being the AAA of the NHL right now. Well, like I said, I, and I'm one of those people to say it. My like I said, uh, you, Montreal is the underdog, but at the end of the day. If they can get it done, it will elevate. You know, it'll give them their shot. It'll be their first real opportunity in a very long time. But otherwise, if they fail, where's your Grey Cup now? And Margot Flair will spit in their general direction. Just no good. You don't want it. You got to do better. Do better. You're not even facing the Black Knights. If you're facing the Black Knights, well, then you're, you know, swept in three. But Carlos, they play. It's best three. Three. It's done. It doesn't so, matter because it wouldn't matter what you did to them. It would not matter what Montreal did because it would always be his but a flesh wound correct but since it's the golden knights yeah you got a shot at least you got a chance there's an opportunity there you never know but uh yes no it'll be interesting i i'm i'm interested in this final four because at least there's some compelling matchups i am disappointed in colorado i will say i am disappointed in colorado i actually had them going to the final and potentially winning i did put a little wager on those guys but no uh they just disappointed again and i think nathan mckinnon did a post-game interview where he was disappointed too because yeah, he's been did, a great player. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I he's did, been a great player, and like he just—they don't have anything to show for. It. And that team looked like it had firepower. That team looked like it had real ability. And it's like, no, Vegas dispatched you. That's why I say I'm wondering if Mark Andre Fleury is just a man possessed. He really wants it, and for his legacy, it would just like I said, he will be in the Hall of Fame. He's got all the other pieces you need. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if he wants to put himself up on that pantheon and get into that shortlist conversation of the top guys, because when you start stacking hardware like that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. So uh, let's do this. I'm going to talk up quickly, uh, do a little sports card market report kind of dealy, and talk about a couple of things real quick. What Uh, else has sold for way too much money, Carlos? uh, Right now, so I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that for the most part, the sports card market is a little bit of a downturn. Um, Not in everything, because it's never in everything. That's That's not a thing. But uh, there have been some areas, like the basketball guys, they inflated a lot of those prices so high it had nowhere to go but down. And some of these other markets too. But we use the small scale. And I brought some stuff just to visual aids and to have a little fun with it because I wanted to show. Because I I picked up a lot of this stuff uh, a couple of years ago when it was a lot cheaper. So we got our boy, Vladdy Jr. Nice. So there's an autograph. Autographed. Yeah, it's a rookie rookie autograph basically. Mm -hmm. So some of this stuff is going for crazy amounts. This one's a nice one. Uh, This is an immaculate RPA. Nice. Is that a jersey? It's a piece of jersey as well? Yeah, it yep. looks like an R. From... It's a piece of patch. Yeah. Nice. That's a it's nice a... card. It is. And this is the parallel out of 49. So basically, if Vladdy Jr. goes and keeps trying to get into the Triple Crown, it's like, so my palatial estate, you say? Possibly. But I've been having it will, some... it will never be a crypto punk, Carlos. Mm, you never know. You never know. But I'll show you guys some other stuff real quick here. So these, these, 
But like I said, I did the work already some time ago. This was all purchased a long time, a while ago. And I can give you, I'll give you context on a couple of the, how, some of these are going for. So there's your uh, optic rookie for Flatty Jr. There's the parallel of it, kind of a refractor design. And I got a whole stack of them, including nice. autograph versions, including shiny autograph versions. So it's like, there's a bunch of this stuff because like I said, I accumulated it when it was a lot cheaper. Some of this stuff, like I've been looking into it. I'll tell you, and I'll give you one quick example. I won't go through all of it, but I'll give you one more quick example. Uh, some of these things. So these are his, um, oh, that's a refractor, I forgot. So there's just Topps Chrome Rookie. Nice. And these are all different types of refractors. Well, all these things are going for like 100, 200, and some of the graded versions, five, 600, $700. Jeez. So how many, how many am I showing you a stack? I'm showing you a whole stack of them. How yeah. many you want? So, so when does Carl start selling those? Oh, I've already started. I've already started collecting some cash. Um, here's a good one. Uh, this is from a, a subset called Titan. And this is included in a couple of different series. This is a special. Um, Panini does these uh, like first off the line. Mm -hmm. So you can only pull these in first off line. This is the orange version. These are numbered to 17. That's a much tougher piece to come by. Yeah. So, needless to say, I, I'm, I'm sitting on a whole stack of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So, yeah, yeah keep hitting those hormones, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I'm good. So, I'm going to be cashing in a couple of these poker chips as we're going along here. That's all I'm saying. And, of course, we will conclude Gold Soto. Because, because why not? Hey, listen. My boy Juan Soto has to be acknowledged. Right now, Vladimir Jr. is doing his thing. And he hit his 20th home run today before we came on the air. Is that the MLB lead? It is. He's leading the MLB in home runs, RBIs, and I believe the American League in average technically in line for the Triple Crown. All right. So, Carlos, can I ask you a sports card question since we're talking about sports cards right now? This would be the segment we're doing it, yes. So, I have a question about this because something else has come up in MLB and something I was interested in a little bit, talking about a little bit. So, I'm curious. I, I want to tell you a story and then I, I want to ask you a question. I, I was laughing because I, I thought originally you were going to ask the question. I was going to say, yes, Dave. I, it does move me ever closer to my crypto punk dream. Please continue. So this week, I, I don't know if you heard it or not, but Garrett Cole did a press conference. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, in which he was asked a, 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 a question. And the I can't remember what the specific substance was, but he was asked, does, has he ever doctored the ball basically using a specific substance? It was probably yeah. – um, it was because – real quick, just for context for everybody. When it comes to baseballs – and doctoring it, if it's a substance and not an emery board or something like that to scratch the surface, you can make the surface rough or you can make it slick. Those are two, the two of the ways that a pitcher could doctor a baseball, amongst other ways, but those are the two like most common. If you're going to do something, sometimes you'll under the brill of the cap, you'll put like Vaseline or something slick. Um, another thing though, sometimes instead, instead of slick, you want to go with something that makes it tackier, stickier, so pine tar. So pine tar is a very common way of doing it because then it makes it makes it so your grip is more so. So then you can have a little bit more control. And I believe pine tar is how you would increase spin rate because you're increasing the tackiness. Yeah. So I can't I can't remember again. I wish I remember the name. of I would the, guess it's uh, pine tar because I know that they've some, been it, it was now. a sticky substance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, but anyway, they asked him in a press conference, "Have you used this?" Mm -hmm. Right. There we yeah. go. Here it is. Here's the specific question. I found it. Sure. Have you ever used spider tack while pitching? Okay. Sure. Yeah, that's what they asked. So it's a, it's a yes or no question. It's either, I mean, it's a gotcha question, but it's either yes, I have, or mm -hmm. no, I have not. 
-hmm. right? Or maybe no comment or you get up and leave. Uh, but he did everything that he could in his, his power to say – to not say yes but also not say no. Basically, is well, I don't really know how to answer that question. Really? You know how to answer the question? That's a yes or no question? You either say yes or no. Uh, and he went on this big this big diatribe about it, never actually really answering the question. But also his spin rate has been down recently since MOB said they were going to crack down on this. So yep. hmm. anyway, my question to you is – does something like this – I know pitchers don't have the same value as position players in the sports card market. Mm -hmm. yep. But is is something like this potentially affect the value of a pitcher's card? So potentially, yes. But one, one fact you have to bear in mind is that there is, a, there is a large difference between we think so and we know so. So – saying his spin rate is down that's a very val that's a metric we can actually look at that and say yeah that's that sounds like smoking gun but it's circumstantial Th think in the evidence the ver the versions mm -hmm. of different types yep. of evidence the problem is that's circumstantial we don't know um it's uh, it's not that people get the benefit of the doubt that's not a fair statement that's not an accurate statement either um however one thing you can keep in mind is that if um a player is definitively caught that's different if they're definitively caught, you can be like, or if a player infamously does like a strongly worded denial and then they're caught after, it's actually worse. You mean like Rafael Palmeiro? No, but that's that's exactly the example I wanted to use it. Thank you for bringing it up because I have a visual reference. Ooh, I, this is not planned whatsoever. But this timing works out. So here's a, here's a Rafael Palmeiro, Atomic Refractor. It's a beautiful looking card. It's got a nice little uh, Cuban flag in the background and everything. These things are gorgeous. These are from the uh, late 90s. This is 97. All right. Rafael Palmeiro is a 500 home run hitter who hit 3,000 hits. He should be a first ballot Hall of Famer lock. But he has never lived down uh, that testimony where he basically shook his finger at Congress and be like, how dare you accuse me of doing steroids? I would never. And then he got caught. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing. Steroids or not, 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. 500 home runs, it'll help you. But 3,000 hits? Mark McGuire didn't get anywhere close to 3,000 hits. And like he benefited from you know steroids as much as anybody. He hit almost 600 home runs, more than Palmero, but 3,000. Palmero was a great hitter who happened to have some power. But the more impressive feat is the 3,000 hits, and he's on the outside of the Hall of Fame looking in. Yeah. Which makes no sense. Barry I was Bonson able to buy... have 3,000 hits. But he had 2,900. Like, he yeah, was close. He was like, close. Yeah, and if he had continued playing out his career like normal, he probably, another year or so, because in his last season, he was still playing pretty well. But outside of San Francisco, nobody wanted him. Yeah. Um, but and he, he was played, 42, too, when he retired. Yeah, but if he plays another year or two, he gets 2,000 hits. So, like, Bonds is Bonds was a Hall of Famer anyway. Palmer, 3,000 hits is hard. You have to be consistent for year after year after year. Steroids are not going to help you get the 3,000. Most of the steroid guys... Did not get the three thousand hits. They're not even close. Most of them. Um, so they. So it's a very difficult thing to do. It stands out when you accomplish. And when you combine the two things, that's like an Eddie Murray. There's a certain guy. You know, Hank Aaron. The, Hank Aaron is an all-time, all-time great. But what to me makes him greater is that he had thirty-seven hundred hits. If he had zero home runs, he'd still have three thousand hits. That's a great hitter. Not yeah, just a great absolutely. home run hitter. It means a great hitter. So, sure. so still, all things considered, if I remove all of Rafael Palmeiro's home runs, that's twenty five hundred hits. That's still a real good career. 
But in reality, he hits some of those home runs are legit. Like in his early part of his career, I promise you, most of the home runs he hit are probably fine. But did he use performance enhancers? We pretty much know that at this point. But yep. he has he is still being punished to this day, which I understand. I totally get it. But that means a card like this, where some of the premium guys would sell for a pretty penny, I got this for two bucks. It's a beautiful card. So for me, as a person who enjoys the game and, and appreciates, you know, the, I'll, I'll buy this for two bucks, no problem. So there you go. I had visual aids. There we go. I like it. I yeah, like so, how that just happened to be there. Yeah. So for the pitcher, though, um, right now it's not going to affect Garrett Cole because um, that isn't proof of anything other than he doesn't know how to answer a question. Um, but now, if his decreased spin rate means that he starts getting lit up all the time and now he sucks. Well, then his career stats are going to suffer anyway, and that's going to take care of itself. It's not even going to be a steroid accusation. It's going to be like, well, now you're garbage. Mm -hmm. So because you haven't accumulated the totality of a complete career. Yeah. The only reason Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are still on the ballot and they're like, oh, will they get in? Won't they get in? Is because their stats are so overwhelming that, yeah, they got enhanced by steroids, but it's like it's still they're still ridiculous stats. Yeah, it's true. So even if I knock 20 or 30 percent off, they're probably still Hall of Famers. Even with that. So it's like, how much did it help? It certainly did, but how much? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I would answer the question. Does that make All sense? Right. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah. So I, um, I'll propose the next topic. All right, please. Dave, I sent you a link. You did. I sent you a link. Now, let's do this. I'm going to give context. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Tell me what you think you saw and what your opinions were of what you saw, and then I'm going to give context. I'll explain what it is, the context of it, and all that. But give me your impression first. All right. So Carlos sent me a link to a YouTube video of a part of an episode of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, and this is from the WWE YouTube channel. It was legit. And I this was this was this was the most recent episode of Raw as well. Correct. A show that I do not watch. And this was the main event segment, by the way. Okay. But I do know, obviously, some of the wrestlers uh, that I, I, from whatever. Anyway, the point is, so there was a segment called Alexa's Playground. It's uh, Alexa's Play. Playhouse? Yeah, I think it's Alexa's Playground. It's Something Playground like that. Playhouse. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So uh, you have Alexa Bliss and her character who's on a swing, and she has this doll. And then you had with Shayna Brazier. Shayna Baszler. Kind and, and, I'll, and I'll give and I'll give some context to these characters and who they are, and I'll give okay. you a little more information shortly. So she comes out, and basically Alexa's like, "We want to be friends with you, but you have to apologize to my doll." And she's Lily. like, "I'm Lily, yeah." And she's like, "I'm not apologizing." And then she's like, "Okay, I apologize." And then she's like, "I'm so sorry." You're and then throw some qualifier on it that means she's not really sorry, and then st stomps on the doll's the, face. The qualifier is that you're a stupid doll. Yeah, <laughs> and then leaves, and then she goes. Some, now she's in the back of the, well, I guess the performance center because they're not in arenas yet. Yeah, but don't and, don't don't skip ahead. Hold on. Okay. Don't forget, exploding pyro. She's chasing her up the ramp. Oh yes. So she as she is leaving the arena or mm -hmm. the ring, the exploding pyro is chasing her up the ramp, and then right. it cuts to shots of her going through the back, going through doors, finding doors locked. Anyway, she gets to a room that has a mirror in it. Looks like a hotel room, mm -hmm. and she's in the room, and she looks in the mirror and she sees the doll Lily in the mirror. And then she turns around, and the doll's not there. Correct. And then she looks at the mirror again, and it's not there. And then she smashes the mirror, but you can still see a Lily in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And then I believe it ended. Yeah, basically it ended with her screaming. Yes. Yeah. And that's how Raw went off the air. Okay. So first, your general thoughts. So my general thoughts are, I, I, I and they, it's hard to give you. <laughs> 
everything about it because I don't watch Raw on a regular basis. But if I, 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 without con- I want it without context. I, so I, I, I'll give the context, but okay. I want your thoughts I, without context. I think I like the Alexa Bliss character. Okay. Right? Who's supposedly, from what I've seen, this sweet, innocent person who actually has some kind of weird cultish was she part of the Wyatt family? I will, I will 100% explain okay. the context, but so, just go for it. So she has some, like, some weird, cultish, creepy part about her. Sure. Where, she, you know, in one segment she's all nice and cute, and the next segment she does this, you know, she does the face, you know, the kind of like, mm-hmm. with her face kind of thing, and then, you know, shows up, it's almost like she shows up behind people and does stuff. I don't know. Okay. Right? Uh, but when I was watching it, I'm thinking to myself, so this is what raw has become mm-hmm. right this this is the gimmick right and obviously it's been a long time i know i'm getting back into wrestling but it's been a long time since i was into wrestling mm-hmm. and then i really started paying attention again so there's a gap there but obviously this is not the not the wwe i remember and i'm thinking to myself raw is losing like raw is not doing well in the ratings uh, yeah, there is nothing I saw which is going to make me want to watch this show on a regular basis, or even watch the show on a semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. So that's and I, so that's so. What I was thinking at the end of it was, Carlos, I have questions. Mm-hmm. So many questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 what I came to at the end of this. That's fair. So let me give a little context first, let, and then let's circle around. And if you've got some questions, we can talk through them. Okay. All right. So quick, uh, let me give uh, the quick recap. You don't need to watch all that crap. And I, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch most of that crap, but I kept an eye from a distance. I've always, with WWE, I can't watch that show now. It's unwatchable to me. Like it's a, it's a slog. It's misery. I can't do it. However, with that said, I still keep an eye on it just because I want to be knowledgeable. I want to know what's going on. I got to have an idea. So I do understand the storyline. I know conceptually where we are and a little bit of where we're going, just based on my logic and where I think it would go. But here's the short version. Um, this Alexa Bliss character is a play off of the most recent Bray Wyatt character where he came back and became the fiend. That whole deal where he's got the kind of the split. We can call it a split personality. We can call it an alter ego, whatever. He gets possessed by a demon and now he's spoo, scary, you know, horror movie guy. Got time. So that, you got that going on. So what happened is the storyline got melded in. And I'll give you, like I said, I'll give you a little context because it'll help us get back to the present. So I'll bring us back around to it. So they were doing that for a bit. And the problem the fiend always had for me was that WWE never fully committed to it. So Bray Wyatt came up with this interesting idea. It's got a backstory. It's got a lot of things going on. It's got interweaving characters. It's got kind of fourth wall breaking, a little bit of parody played into it, some satire. It's actually a very interesting character that could be done, but you got to be very careful how you do it because you're basically boo, scary, I have superpowers guy. So you've got to be careful the environment you put it in because you can't pull it off everywhere. In front of a live audience, it's possible but it's trickier you have to really stage stuff you have to come up with different ideas to make it work in the pandemic time where you're inside of this controlled environment you can really screw around that and that's what's been going on the last couple of months in the last year or so but the bray wyatt character bray wyatt had this whole vision for it but then wb got its claws on it and started scaling back the problem is with bray wyatt as a character previously and then with the fiend version of this character and whatever other iterations have come out is the bray wyatt character always has one fatal flaw He's always temp- circled around the idea of being a cult leader or having the occult, occult powers or whatever the case may be. There was even a bit with the Wyatt family where he quote unquote stole the Undertaker's powers. The Undertaker is a stupid character. If we really analyze it like as a character, 
if we remember it's a TV show and it, anything can happen theoretically, then it's fine. But in concept, it's moronic. It's absolutely moronic. But then at one point, Bray Wyatt stole his powers. But then for some reason, this never manifested into a world title. Eventually, he did win the world title, but then it was like a nondescript thing. And then he had a feud with Randy Orton and it involved a lot of really cheap parlor tricks and dumb stuff. And then he lost the title. So, like, why does a guy with supernatural powers have such a hard time retaining a title or even winning a title? Why doesn't he want a title? What is his purpose? What does he want? The, the presentation's cool, but there's no aim to it. There's no direction. Like, what are you... If I have these superpowers, then I guess technically I could do whatever I want. I could win every title. I'd be the greatest. Why would I not always win? I have powers. I should win everything, mm -hmm. theoretically. But they never get there. They never do that. It's always There's always some of this weird mix. So what happened is at one point they did a bit where The Fiend was feuding with Braun Strowman, the formerly employed Braun Strowman. Uh, so ah, yes. Yeah, so he was feuding with Braun Strowman. And they decided to do a cinematic match where they went back to the compound. And Braun Strowman is basically going through and there's all these psychological warfare and this voodoo magic, you know, spooky stuff. More of kind of what you saw in that segment, a little bit of that. Okay. Now what happened is they did a bunch of callbacks. Like I said, Bray Wyatt is very creative. So he comes up with different ways of doing callbacks and different interesting things because he did a cinematic match with John Cena at a WrestleMania a couple of years ago. That was pretty interesting. And they played around with some stuff with John Cena's character. John Cena had some input too, but they came up with all these interesting ways to call back to John Cena's past, his previous iterations and all that. You know, the Thugonomics John Cena and his initial debut John Cena. And he even pretended to be Hulk Hogan from the NWO sort of, but except as John Cena. So they played off these concepts and these ideas that people had posited over over time it's very cleverly done so technically he beat john cena at wrestlemania but this fiend character can never get any traction it's bizarre so what happened is in this thing they did a lot of weird stuff but at one stage of it they did this thing where like a siren is calling to braun Strowman. it's and it's purport and in the way it's presented it's like oh my god this is sister abigail which you know bray wyatt had referenced for many years sister abigail who was never a physical person and you never saw them or heard from them or whatever but they existed in this theoretical he would ref reference sister abigail in promos his finisher was called sister abigail like there's all these references to it but you never see this 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 entity whatever it's supposed to be so you, suddenly you see sister abigail and then sister abigail pulls off the veil and it's actually alexa bliss now here's the thing alexa bliss is actually quite a good actress so you got a taste of that a little bit from what you saw there so she's actually quite a good actress and she actually has some acting chops even though not too many people knew about it prior to, and I don't think she's formally trained, but she's clearly got some acumen for it. She clearly has some ability to be able to portray whatever silly thing they ask her to do. This was supposed to be a one-off. The idea was that she would, she was, it wasn't actually Alexa Bliss. It was Sister Abigail manifested as Alexa Bliss because Braun Strowman had had a brief partnership in a WWE like mixed tag challenge a year or two before where fans got behind this team Little Big, which was Alexa Bliss and Braun Strowman, and people and they made there were like little allusions to a potential budding romance. Like it was a deep cut callback to use Alexa Bliss's image as part of this thing. But it wasn't supposed to be Alexa Bliss. It was supposed to be a figment right. of Braun Strowman's imagination to trick him in the vision of Alexa Bliss. Okay. So like I'm giving you guys a very deep background here because there's a lot to go through. Like I said, layers. It, in terms of layers. This is as good as WWE storytelling gets, but the reason because is because Bray Wyatt came up with it. It wasn't WWE. So he came up with this callback, and it was very interesting in that sense. But people really loved it on social media. So at some point down the road, and it was sometime later, at one point, The Fiend was doing its thing where The Fiend was like showing up and terrorizing people randomly. Mm -hmm. 
And at one point, The Fiend suddenly showed up while Alexa Bliss was out doing her talk show thing. And what happened is, over the next several weeks and months, initially it was like, you know, like everybody else, you know, horrified, blah, blah, blah. But it became a thing where it almost like Alexa Bliss was like infatuated or possessed by like the spirit of The Fiend in the sense that she was like, you know, be like in a trance and like be hanging around and like you never saw, you'd see... The fiend wouldn't attack her or anything, but it would just be this like presence that would like affect her in certain ways. And then she would flip back and forth between her normal demeanor because she, at that time she was a tag team with Nikki Cross. And then all of a sudden there's this weird thing. But again, WWE drops the ball. Like they start down this path and it looks like eventually Nikki Cross and her are going to cross paths and have a feud or whatever. And they sort of did. But like over time, more and more, Alexa Bliss got sucked into the vortex of the fiend until at one point, you know, they had the uh, the playhouse that, the fiend, that Bray Wyatt has. And all of a sudden, Alexa Bliss showed up as another character at the Playhouse, basically joining him as this like Saturday morning cartoon character that is like overly happy. So that's where you're getting that sense, that taste of it. It's still carrying over from that. So then, basically, Alexa Bliss became like an associate of Bray Wyatt slash the Fiend, and like she was there and like helping out and do whatever. But at the same time, she's like developing her own occult powers. And at one point, the Fiend gets destroyed, gets burned by Randy Orton, and she resurrects the Fiend using dark magic because it's all being sucked into this vortex of things. But then, at the height of the moment, another feud with Randy Orton, because it's always freaking Randy Orton. Randy Orton ends up winning this time because Alexa Bliss turns on The Fiend. And now The Fiend loses, and now Alexa Bliss is off on her own. And now the retcon excuse is that it actually, she has her, she realized that she didn't need The Fiend. She has her own powers. But then we retcon it again, and like, I guess the source of her powers is now the doll, who is her friend from childhood, even though it's doll so like is the doll possessed is the doll is the doll the source of power does she control it does the doll control her this is basically what we're playing with now all right so this is what's going on with all that but here's the thing in the spirit of what i said before okay so now you have the occult powers she actually was on the verge of being women's champion but she was technically feuding with randy so after the fiend thing went away before the fiend came back Technically, Alexa Bliss was feuding with Randy Orton. So is there anyone currently who's not feuding with Randy Orton, apparently? That's, like, that's, that, that's the secret to WWE's success. Well, here's the funny thing. There was a meme out there where a bunch of different people would like meet up, even if they're not feuding. They would end up like having an interaction with Randy Orton, and there was a streak of them for a little while there, and all of them were like cut. So, so it was like, so, so is there anyone it's kind of like the... 2k20 video game where but even more powerful more like it's directly if you come in proximity of randy orton you are now fired but you're gone get out <laughs> well actually i did see a, a a meme about that where it was talking about randy orton's charitability and how mm-hmm. charitable he is yep. because he opened up a home for for uh out of work wrestlers in jacksonville mm-hmm Exactly. And all those people that got to, to uh, AEW. But that's the reference. Like, that's, it was this weird thing where, like, at, one after another would be like that. It, it, was, it was like the, their last interaction on TV or their last feud was with Randy Orton, and then they found themselves on the unemployment line and then went to AEW. They'd be like, really? This is, this is what we're dealing with? Anyway, so the thing is, so now Alexa Bliss is on her own and past the Randy Orton feud and all that, but technically she's just kind of hanging around, and it's like now she's feuding with Shayna Baszler, and I'll come back to Shayna Baszler in two seconds. But the thing is that, okay, so she's doing all this, but again, occult powers, all that great stuff, whatever, fine, boo, scary stuff. But um, at this point, she should probably just win the damn title. Why is she feuding with Shayna Baszler? Now, like from a logical standpoint, like Shayna Baszler is beneath you. Go, go, go! Compete for the title and win the damn thing. But also, you have powers. Also, also to, exactly your point. 
why can't you just use these call powers to win the title? They're like she should just be able to do that at will. And anytime, just show up and they're like, I want that title. But now, it's like, now I point at you and, like, the ceiling falls on your head or something. Like, it can be whatever stupid thing you want. Doesn't matter. She has powers. And until they go on the road, which is until mid-July, they have the power to do basically whatever they want because everything's in-house and they can can roll however they want to roll. Yeah. Now, I'll come back to that in two seconds. So, the important thing. So, now, quickly, Shayna Baszler, just for context. So, now, I've given you the Alexa Bliss backstory to get us to the present. Now, we know how we got here. Gotcha. Okay. Shayna Baszler, she is a former MMA fighter. Okay. She is a, she's a former she's a friend of Ronda Rousey. She's a former MMA fighter, but she was quite a, she was pretty accomplished in MMA. She did well for herself, and then she came to NXT to do uh, to train for wrestling, and she's actually taken to it quite nicely. And in NXT, her character was portrayed as a badass, and she would fight everybody and like antagonize people, and was like a monster heel who could. So know, how fight. is she different from Ronda Rousey's character in WWE? I'll get to that. So what happened is she's got all this, and then. She became uh, NXT champion twice. And over the course of those two title reigns, she is actually the longest combined reigned NXT champion of all time. She has had the NXT championship for well over 530 days or whatever it was. And then she got to the main roster, floundered, had a bunch of feuds where she probably could have done something. She had the feud that led uh, to a match with Becky Lynch at WrestleMania where probably she should have won the title, but they didn't do execute that. And then they let her flounder. She became tag team champions with Nia Jax and that just kind of has happened and gone nowhere. And now they've lost the title and they've got all that nonsense. And now she's feuding with a doll. This is where Shayna Baszler is. So this is like developed a lot of frustration. We're like, but Shayna Baszler's really good at this like badass fighting character. Right. Now, the, now, the difference between her and Ronda Rousey is that Ronda Rousey is even more marketable, and WWE decided, yes, we're going to market you. You're going to be our top person, and let's, but let's call a spade a spade. My opinion. The difference between the two of them, Ronda Rousey is more attractive. So Vince decided, we will market you. We'll pay you top dollar. We'll, we'll feed you the championship. Shayna Baszler, you're really good. Uh, you can fight the doll. But you may fight the doll. Yeah, I could, that, that, is, that sounds like a very Vince thing. Yeah, that's my theory. I believe this is the rationale for why you take somebody who has, you know, the credentials to be like, no, we could we could market you as a legit badass who is is a constant contender, probably gets the title a couple of times, and then is a really uh-huh. scary heel with the title and has a decent run with it. You already did an NXT. All you got to do is borrow the formula. It's already been done. Yeah. One of, her title, one of her title runs for over 400 days. Like, you let her hold it for over a year. Where she beat all comers and eventually she was beaten and we move on but she was a credible champion when she was champion like it made sense yeah and she's an mma fighter so like she could put a bunch of submissions on you and she could strike and do all kinds of stuff like she looks legit she can but instead let's have her fight a doll and then we get to the segment and in the segment in effect what you've done is you've stuck alexa bliss in this stasis where she's doing these feuds that don't matter that don't mean anything that are just bizarre just because you can you put this in your main event segment. This is what people went off the air with. People that stuck around to the third hour of Monday Night Raw got to enjoy this to close the show. This is what you ended the show with. And what you ended the show with was a B-level horror movie with all the tropes, including you're in an arena, quote-unquote. Obviously, you recorded it another day or earlier in the day or whenever you actually recorded it. It was pre-taped. But so, you rec- so you're in an arena on a show that's supposed to be live where there's supposed to be camera crews. There's supposed to be, why don't you run to catering? You'll have friends who will help you or enemies who will help you. 
or some random staff member who you can use as a human shield. Instead, you run into an empty room, like a bad horror movie. Of it course, doesn't make any sense. It's a bad horror movie. It yeah. is a bad horror movie. Carlos. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And even the little thing with the mirror, I was I was joking because I was watching it because I watched the clip initially, and I was thinking, you know, it would be funnier if instead of Lily, it was the Ultimate Warrior, because they did that in WCW with Hogan, where he where he had the thing where literally Eric Bischoff is standing beside him, and Hulk Hogan is pantomiming being mortified because the Ultimate Warrior is in the mirror and nobody else can see it, even the people in the room except for Hogan and the people watching on TV because it's stupid. So what? So really what I got out of this is that Lily is actually the ultimate warrior. Or the ultimate warrior is actually Lily. Or she, Lily, the doll, learned her powers from the ultimate warrior. Ironically, their promo skills are about the same. So maybe, so maybe there's oh something my. to that. Maybe oh there's something my. to that, who knows? But the other thing is beside the B horror movie acting and all of it, is that when you get in front of live crowds, you can't pull off this bullshit. It's true. You're not, you're not gonna show that to the crowd because you'd have to put it on the jumbotron. You're gonna show that to a live crowd. That, really? No, no, you're not. So like, it's 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 aimless. It's, it doesn't have a direction. It can ever go. Like, what's it supposed to go from here? I could probably think of some stuff, but it could go. Now there was a podcast that brought up an excellent point that I will close this sex segment on. All right. And that is this: one of WWE's problems, in a multitude, a myriad of problems, is inconsistency, even with storytelling and with different things. There are segments where WWE will have a segment where somebody will be talking in the back or whatever, and they and everybody clearly knows there's a cameraman there. Okay. And they'll acknowledge the cameraman or they'll look right at the camera and say, like, you know, step back or whatever. They'll the cameraman is acknowledged in some way. In this B horror movie moment, the cameraman isn't real. Or we're supposed to believe they're not real, but sometimes they're real, but other times they're not. Right. So in this case, here's your here's the question I asked you. Is the idea supposed to be, and this is just a question I propose based on the little clip you saw and the context I just gave you. So question, was the vision of Lily in the mirror supposed to be like a haunting or is Shayna Baszler losing her mind? It's not know. clear. No. Like it's, that might be intentional. But you could argue both. Exactly. You could argue both cases. You could make the case for either. Maybe she's losing her mind and, in, and it's her imagination or she's being haunted by the, by the killer doll. Um, either way. But the other thing is, to what end? To what end? And secondly, um, in addition to that, why is it in this case the cameraman isn't real? And also, are we the audience also supposed to be losing our mind? Are we being haunted because we saw Lily too? Probably. These are all. These are all. Imp these are all like think. Think your theater background. Think the drama background. This is an important question because you. How you're showing me this is supposed to in some way theoretically give me a, like, okay, am I also supposed to be losing my mind? Or am I seeing it because you want, because the thing is she could pretend there's a doll there and we don't have to see anything. Correct. And then maybe she's losing her mind, but we're seeing it. So maybe she's being haunted. You could interpret it either way. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I do. Yeah. So there's there's a million little problems with this. Like I'm I'm quibbling about relatively minor things, but it's all part of the presentation. It's it's all part of what you just showed me. So for me, ah, this doesn't compel me. I'm not interested. And also, what's the result? So they get into a feud. They have a match. Does the doll possess Shayna Baszler? Is she now like you know Alexa Bliss's ninja who will help? Yeah, her? like well, what's she, your what's your end game, right? And even if that's the case, like what's the end game of that? Like to what end? Why don't you just go win the damn title? Like this is a meaningless feud that leads to nowhere for either one of them there's no winning this feud like who wins this feud yeah the doll 
The doll wins a feud. It becomes champion or something. Probably. I don't know. It's probably got to be the doll. And then she fights the spirit of the ultimate warrior in the spirit in the celestial plane. Obviously. Duh. Clearly. But that's the reason why I showed it to you because you saw you saw how much time I was able to take, break down, give you the background, lead us back to the present. And now here we are. And, it, and we're no better for it. This is WWE in a nutshell. I was able to give you all the context, all the background, lay you back in. And all of a sudden, it's like, are you any closer to figuring out what the fuck you just saw than you were before? Probably not. Probably not. Now, imagine if you were a regular viewer of this. This was your reward. Congratulations, loyal viewer. We're giving you this. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. That sounds like a punishment to me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that I basically, when something comes up that is bizarre that I hear about, I'm glad that they'll put the clip up on YouTube because I don't want to watch that shit in real time. I don't want to watch it on the actual show. No, thank you. Yeah. At least I can focus on that one specific segment and having the background that I do, I can put the rest of the pieces together myself. I don't want to sit there and watch that show. It's not a show I want to watch. Yeah, man. I don't, I don't know what, the, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to present that because that's the current state of WWE. By contrast, AEW is doing its thing. Are all the storylines brilliant? Nope. Are they perfect? Not even close. But most of the things have some progression. There is, the, you can kind of figure out the steps and, as you're moving along. And um, honestly, I think unless you're Jim Cornette, you think it's probably a good product. Yeah. Because Jim Cornette has some serious hate on for AEW. Well, you should, you should correct your statement to say Jim Cornette has some serious hate on. That's true. But but he, he yeah it's true but he one of those things he has some here he's hate hate on for is the w, the AW absolutely yeah it's it's one of those things like which I feel I, is very unjust I feel it just goes to the fact that he doesn't like Kenny Omega yeah and I and I think he probably has some legitimate gripes although you know the right the style they have in Japan and some of the things they do in Japan are designed for a Japanese audience not for a North American audience. And sometimes it feels like Jim Cornette doesn't get that. Well, Dave, listen, you got to understand. Kenny Omega is a multi, multi, multi-time world champion right now. He's got many belts. Um, and honestly, why would you not take this man seriously? Like, does he not look like a serious person? Does he not look like somebody no. you should take seriously? Does no. Let me finish. Uh, does, he, does he not look like the kind of guy... That you sit there and you're like, you're frightened of this man. Like you, 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 the gravitas in which he speaks, it doesn't feel like farcical and silly at all. He's not the kind of guy that would, back in the Japanese days, fight a nine-year-old girl in a match that actually happened. Or fight an invisible man that might have actually happened. The point is that he's a serious wrestler, Dave. A serious wrestler. Mm -hmm. oh, he's serious a lot more serious in AEW than he is in Japan. I, it's hard not to be. <laughs> did, did I, did I, he had a match with the nine-year-old girl. That's a thing. That's a thing that actually that is occurred. Actually true. This is true. I have seen footage of that. It's just bizarre. Champion. But uh, and he's Canadian. Don't you forget. Well, he's from Winnipeg. They're weird. You know who else is from Winnipeg, Carlos? He's the also champion. weird. He's, he's also weird, though. Like, can we acknowledge that Chris, Jer Chris Jericho is a lot of fun? But can we acknowledge he's also a very weird man? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, an exceedingly weird man. Like, he really is. Now, there was a good... Uh, I'll finish off uh, the thing. Now, we'll shift over to AEW, and then we'll shift over to other topics real quick here. All right. Um, there was a little segment, though, in the... Not this past episode, but uh, maybe the week before, that it was really fun. It was a good callback. What I enjoy about AEW is sometimes they'll do a callback. If you're a longtime fan, occasionally you're rewarded with a little Easter egg. It's a joke you'll only get if you know. Uh -huh. If you're a younger fan, like it'll go right over your head because it's like, I don't get the reference. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
So there was a segment where um, one of the guys, I think it was Alex Marvez, he ran to the back to go and try to have a chat with Chris Jericho, and it was Chris Jericho was about to explain if the inner circle was going to do the feud with uh, the Pinnacle. So this was some weeks ago now. Um, and he's standing there and talking. Uh, and as the guy walks, Marvez walks up, he's having there, have, sitting there having a chat with Dean Malenko. Okay. Now, for anybody who remembers or who knows, I'll give you a quick background. Uh, he, Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho had a very excellent feud back in the WCW days in the mid-90s. And it was a back and forth, many great matches, a lot of very interesting segments, some fun stuff. Even one point, uh, Dean Malenko disguised himself as a luchador, and I don't remember if it was a battle royale or whatever they were doing. And in the end, Chris Jericho was there at the end with this luchador that he thought he was just going to beat up. And then something happened, he had his back turned. The luchador pulls his mask off and it's Dean Malenko and then he beats him up and they like they, they had this yeah. big feud going on. And it was and it was a big moment because the crowd exploded when he took the and they realized it was Dean Malenko. But as part of the whole shtick, there was a joke. So I'll give you the joke and then I'll give you the context for the joke. All right. So Marvez is doing that, and then towards the end, Jericho like talks back to him, whatever, and he goes, Hey, now get out of here before you know the man of a thousand holds gets mad at you. Whatever. Because that was Dean Malenko's nickname, Man of a Thousand Holds. Okay. So he goes, hey, don't get mad before the man of a thousand holes gets mad at you. And then Malenko is like, oh, but you still got four more than me. And then Jericho turns to him. He goes, I forgot a few. Now, here's the thing. Without context, what, what are they talking about? What does yeah. that mean? During the feud, Chris Jericho, as part of his feud, was explaining how he's better than Dean Malenko. He goes, you're a man of a thousand holds? I counted. I have 1,004 holds. And I'm going to list them off for you. And he did that during a segment of Nitro. Okay. This was the original list. He had this gigantic printout, and he starts reading the list. This was the original list before yeah. the list and all that that came after. But he starts reading it. And as he's reading it, he's making up all these ridiculous names. But every couple of names that he's reading off is Armbar. Like every fifth or sixth or whatever, Armbar. And then he would keep going. But then eventually they went to commercial break. And when they came back from commercial break, they're acting like he's still reading the list, but he's like going like 456, this, yeah. 457, armbar. Yeah. <laughs> and he would just keep going. And eventually they finally pulled him out of there and whatever. But the joke was he was a man of a thousand and four holds. But if you go back to the bit from AEW, he goes, you still know four more than me. And he goes, I forgot a few. <laughs> you will not understand that joke if you don't remember mid-90s WCW. Yeah. But I do. So I, so I got a kick out of it, and but I it appreciate treats, it. It treats you to something that you know. I got that was an Easter egg for me. You know what they call? You know what they call that in New Orleans, Carlos? They call it a lanyap, little something extra. Yeah, but they, for most people, completely boom, right over their heads. But for me, as soon as I saw that, it put a smile on my face. It's like I know that reference. Nice, and that's why I appreciate the AEW threw that in, and Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko threw that in because if you know. You know. And now, if you heard this, now you know. There you go. People, a couple of people on social media caught that one. They enjoyed it. They're like, nice. That's a callback. Nice. <laughs> Try a callback. It's 25 years. <laughs> it's great, though, that there's enough people around that get it. Yeah. But it's it's a little, it's the little, AEW in a nutshell, again, not perfect. AEW in a nutshell, though, is, is you get to see some of the future, some of these people that I had never seen before, that I get to see some of the stuff they do, and it's fun. But then I'll still occasionally get these little nuggets. By the way, you've been a fan a long time. Here, let me throw you a little. Let me throw you this little bone here. If this one's just for you because they're not going to get it. But this one's just for you. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. So it's a it's the combination. It's the that's what makes it a more enjoyable program for me to the point that I'll go out of my way occasionally, not all the time. I'll go watch the YouTube show because they'll do a couple of matches and some fun stuff in there and I can get acquainted with some of these characters outside of the main show. And I'm like, no, it's enjoyable for me. I get to have some fun with it. And I think that's kind of the old school wrestling style when I used to watch the shows regularly. And a lot of those shows, a lot of my references, because I used to watch a lot of these shows all the time. Today, WWE makes five hours of programming a week. I can't watch one second of it. Not one second. I refuse. Not doing it. Yeah. And that is why. The contrast between what I just explained to you and that fun little side joke, it was 10 seconds. If you missed, you blinked, you missed it. Right. I caught it. I saw it. There you I go. Like it. I like that's it. it. That's how it works. So anyway, okay. So that's good there. Um, did you have any other wrestling questions or anything else questions-wise you want to no, touch I don't, on? I don't think so. I don't think so on that regard. Good stuff. All right. So do we have anything else there on the list that we want to touch on? I Do you have anything else? Because I, I have something we could talk about, but if you but only if you don't have anything else. No, let's go. Uh, you pick. You pick. Uh, you pick. I All had right. my fun with that segment, All so right. let's go. So here's our then our, our last topic of go episode 100. All right, a recurring segment around here. Mm-hmm. Dave made a list. Carlos makes shit up. Indeed. So this is Dave's list, and not uh. Now, does it involve armbar? It, it, yeah. Best wrestling holds. Go. <laughs> armbar. Uh, so I I thought because we could we could have a have a good conversation about this because I think there's there's a debate to be had about this since we talk, so we can go back to the con can or can con sorry. And I'm going to go because I still have my list of sports Mount Rushmore's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to know your sports Mount Rushmore of hockey. All right. Okay. So I'm going to give you mine and my category. And I think there's going to be some overlap here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think some of these, I think a lot of these are, are probably no brainers mm-hmm. for, for pretty much anybody who follows hockey. Okay. But when you get down to number, th- I think, you know, two of the four that I have on this list everybody should have at least two of them. Okay. All right. The other two, I can see maybe where, where, where you might go. All right. And, and so here's what I did with this. So I said, all right, if you're going to tell the story of hockey, right, you, mm-hmm. you're going to tell the history of hockey, you can't tell it without mentioning these four people. All, all right? right. So here's what I went with. Okay. In no particular order, as I always do number, but I did write them down. So in this order, number one, Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, Bobby Orr. Okay. Number three, Gordy Howe. Mm-hmm. And number four, Jacques Plante. Okay. All right. So I fear that maybe some people are going to be like, why Jacques Plante in, in my list? And I was thinking, well, I don't think you can have a, a hockey round or really like a, a sports round much more if there's sort of a, a niche position that's really important to the game. So in this case, goaltending. And you don't have a goaltender on your list. Mm-hmm. Right, so so I put Jacques Plant on that uh, on, for that reason, and and because of the the introduction of the hockey mask as well, mm-hmm. right. which I, which is which is super important, and obviously that's a big part of hockey, and for for Jacques Plant to have done that, so that's why he's on the list as the goalie. That's why I put him. Obviously, he has great stats as a goaltender as well, uh, but I, but I put him on there for the innovation part as well. And then I, I think it's hard to argue. I don't. I don't think anyone can have a hockey Mount Rushmore without Wayne Gretzky. 
And then I, I think, you know, you could potentially make some arguments as to who you are, the people are going to be. But I, as, as I thought about it, I thought about maybe having somebody like Lemieux for a bit. Uh, you know, do you want to go more recent and have somebody like Ovechkin or maybe Crosby? Uh, but I went with like the tried, trusted, and true, and that's why I have Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, and Gordy Howe as my position players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, obviously there, you know, there are some forwards and defensemen on there, and then my goalie Jacques Plante, which I feel ha- there has to be a goalie on this list. That's my reasoning, Carlos. What say you? Mm-hmm. So your caveat, the way you put it about. You cannot write the history of the game without them. Makes it very makes it trickier. Um, because for me, but again, you're making shit up, so you don't have to use the same criteria I do. Well, if I can use my own criteria, then then Gretzky's not on it. <laughs> if I have to do the writing the history of the game, then I have to put him on there I, because it's um, revolutionized the way that scoring was at that time. It's also popularizing the game in the in the uh, southern United States. You don't have all those uh, California teams without Gretzky there. That's a reality. Uh, the trade in 88 was a big news story in the hockey world. It sent reverberations around. That was a big deal. Um, it increased a lot of the profile of it. And his statistical dominance, in points especially, is one of those things that is is a standout from that era. And he finished off his career in 99, so at least it was modern-ish. As a pure goal scorer and a pure like uh, offensive force, Lemieux is a better player to me. It's he's more exciting player to watch. Gretzky never never amused me to watch. He, he didn't entertain me, but I could acknowledge that he was he was excellent at what he did. It's no lack of talent. It's no lack of skill. Uh, but Lemieux had the skill and he had a little more size. So it's one of those things. He had a multitude of ways of getting you. And then he came back after you know Parkinson's. He came back after uh, all these injuries and all these different issues a couple of times. And when he came back the last time, like at age 35, he goes, he scores, and he spends the last half season scoring 77 points. Mm-hmm. He scores over 30 goals in age 35 after like three years off, four years off. Who does that? It's true. Like it's it's obscene. So again, he almost scored he scored like almost 700 goals in his career. What would he have done if he hadn't taken three years off, another year off here, another sure. half year off here, injuries, you know, uh, treatments, all this yep. stuff. Um, sorry, it was, it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, I think it was. So it was cancer, basically. Yeah, well, it was, yes. Yeah. But anyway, the point is it's still the same. You, you yeah. get cancer, you come back, and you're still like a scoring, elite scoring level. That, se- that half season, he scored 1.77 points per game at age 35. Yeah. After four years off. And he owned the team. That's a boss move. <laughs> I'm just going to show up, and I'm just going to be like the best point getter and scorer for the second half of the season fact after four years off what the hell yep. screw it yeah that's fair yeah that's a boss move now oh for sure if i'm going like i said history of the game gretzky's got to be there uh how so so here's what i'll put it if i remove that caveat i'm putting how because how was an, an iron man he was a law he was mr hockey mm-hmm. he he also made a name he was also great in the wha came back for the last season played hockey in five or six decades or whatever ridiculous thing it was. he started in the 40s like he was, he was, he started in the forties and finished his last season in 1980. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like, like it's off, like that's scary. In a good way. Like ridiculous yeah. in, a, in yeah. a positive way. Yeah. So it's very difficult not to like, well, like, and don't you, got, you, is that Gordy Howe behind you on the wall or is that? No, it's Madano. That's Madano on Detroit. Yeah. For his one year, for his ill-fated year in Detroit. Okay. I had to have it for variety. But, but you anyway, do have a Gordy Howe autograph somewhere, right? Yeah. That's so it's a little hard to see, but if you look, there's like a little orange thing there. That's a bobblehead that's autographed by Gordy Howe. Nice. So I do have. Um, but the thing is that when you take it in totality, 
Gordie Howe is, is, an, is a must, regardless of criteria or whatever. Again, Mr. Hockey. We, we must include Gordie Howe. Bobby Orr is an excellent choice. I like it from that perspective, having a defenseman in there. Uh, I'm going to think about that for, for, for a second. I want Lemieux in there because to me, he's like I said, he was an offensive force. If I remove the story of the game part of it, then I can exclude Gretzky and that'll amuse me. Uh, so I will. Uh, he can be an honorable mention. He's, he's decent. He's fine. He'll be over, he'll be over there in the corner. Um, so how Lemieux, because he was an offensive force, mm-hmm. like a scary offensive force, uh, for goaltenders, George Vesna, because he was the first one that put the position on the map even before everything else. I did, and- I did debate. I did debate about putting Vesna on. That was my original, uh, person who I had on the list as the ghost peeper spot. But then the mask part, no, for sure. Is what took me to Jacques Plan. Yeah. I, when it comes to goal, so I'll quick, quickly give you my methodology in goaltenders. It's a completely different era. Like, I can't treat Vesna exactly as I would other goaltenders from later eras because they played a completely different style, completely different era, less games, whatever. But you also played a very different style. Like, there was a lot of differences in the way the game was played overall. Mm-hmm. But again, we named the award after the guy. Like, he's acknowledged as a pioneer. So regardless, the story of hockey, if you want to introduce that concept of it back into it a little bit as part of the criteria, the man's name is on the award. Yep. When, when you name one of the awards for best goaltender after this guy... We got to at least acknowledge him a little bit. For sure. For sure. So I'll put Vesna on there. I'll put Howe on there. I'll put Lemieux on there as an offensive force from that 80s time period in particular. Um, and then the last position gets a bit tricky for me because um, I already, like I said, I moved Gretzky to the side because I know it'll annoy some people and that may, amuses me. Um, my trolldom must be appeased. But the, um, but the other issue that I run into is when I'm thinking of goaltenders, Another guy I could have thought of, and I, I don't like the guy, but I, but I would have thought of, Wah uh, popularized the butterfly style, mm-hmm. which was a big game changer for goaltenders. Like it, Berger and a lot of those guys that came after um, adopted this style after uh, Wah popularized it. Well, it basically, it basically took the, eventually, the, mm-hmm. the stand-up goaltender out yes. of the game. That, that's what, so that's, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> so that, that's a significant you know, shift. That, that changing the, you want to talk about changing the game? Yeah, that, no, that's a change sure. in the game for sure. So, like, I'll put him in the honorable mention category only because I only have four slots. Mount Rushmore. The problem with that is I only have four slots, but he's right there. Like, he, I, I could put him right back in over Vesna for that reason. Uh, the other guy that I will, so the guy I'll include in the fourth one will be Orr, and it'll be mainly because he basically popularized the idea of an offensive defenseman. He was a, he was a, uh, he led the league in scoring as a defenseman. That wasn't a thing that you did. But right. he did it, and it was in an era that is like it was unthinkable. So, and for an entire generation of some hockey fans, even to this day, they will claim Bobby Orr is the best. Some will, some will vote for Howe. Some will vote for Orr for the reason I just outlined. He was a defenseman who played defense, but could lead the league in scoring. Yep. So, like all that put together, Howe was a force. He was a physical force. My, my knock on Gretzky is that he doesn't have physicality. He doesn't. That's not his game. It's not his style. But Howe had physicality, and he could score, and he could do everything else, and he had longevity because he was a machine. He would just keep going out there, and then he'd punish people. Yeah. Gordie Howe hat trick is not, you know, it's not a three goals. The Gordie Howe hat trick includes fighting because he would do it if he needed to. And he had no qualms about dropping the gloves, and he goes, I will beat you into submission. This is what we're going to do. Yep. And then I'll score a goal, get an assist, and that's the Gordie Howe hat trick. We're done. Anything else I can do for you? So, so I, I think I'll go how I'll go, like I said, 
as an offensive force, I like I love Lemieux's style. I'll go Bobby Orr because he revolutionized that position entirely. And Vesna was the trailblazer for goaltenders. And the award is named after him. All right. So that'll be my four. All right. So two, uh, sorry, two doubled up and two not. Hmm. And there you have it, people. There you go. So that's how we'll play that one. Good stuff. So anything else uh, we want to touch on then before we conclude? No, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Love Other it. than thank you for joining us for cake. It is very important. So we'll uh, we'll go off here. We'll go off the air here with uh, with the beloved. Here we go. We're not too far removed. We have to acknowledge cake at the end. So thank you for cake for hanging out for the entire uh, podcast. Yes, thank you. We appreciate it. Always, always. So we'll be back for episode one hundred and one. What will be on episode one hundred and one? Hell if I know. Haven't figured it out yet, and haven't made it up. Probably won't figure it out either. We'll figure it out sometime on Saturday, right around the time I uh, hit record. Sounds that, good. And that's kind of the way we roll. So that's basically the way it'll go. So anyway, uh, the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your wherever you get your podcast. In addition to YouTube, where you can see the video version of it, you'll get basically this. And uh, in this case, we tried out uh, streaming live onto Facebook. There is an Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast Facebook group. So if you join that, then you would get the little notification and you'd be able to watch it live if you happen to be on when it's live on a Saturday. So that are the locations there. So now we're going forward. On to the next episode cake or whatever the next one ends up being called. Uh, and then as we go along, we'll keep modifying it. Now that um, we're starting to move a little bit forward into that, one thing I'll say here at the end is if you do catch it in any of those formats, uh, leave a comment if you can somewhere. Uh, because we'd love to get the feedback and see if there's anything you'd be interested in. It's always going to be a little bit of a random mishmash of different things. I'll bring up a $12 million NFT. I will explain the new use of the Great Cup. Now we know what we can do it, use it for. I will, I will denounce keep the Super League salt alive. Correct. And I will denounce the existence of the CFL because it was never a thing. And that's how we roll around here. That is just how it's going to be. So anyway, that's it for episode 100 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Thank of those, those of you who have checked it out. We will catch you in the next one.